Recorded live. Well, hello, it's Mike, and uh, it's nothing but the truth. We'll measure any find in the final of the Word of God. From our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we're going to do part two of this uh, reading of uh, Heaven and Earth by uh, Gabriel Henright, something like that, Henriette. I don't know. Um, Shouts out. Shout out to uh, um, Brother in Christ, uh, Larry Phillip. I know that they're doing the show right now, so I'm doing this on uh, Justification. And shout out to uh, Jerry and Richard who are doing it with them. So, and those who are listening to us, shout out to um, Andrew once again. Thank you for your um, the letter and the gift that you gave me. It wasn't you know? It was very generous of you, to put that way. So, and I used it for my son. Um, and thank you. So. Um. Shout out to uh, uh, Flat Water, Flat Earth for uh, introducing me to this book. And he has read it on his YouTube channel and he's got the visual aid and all that kind of stuff. So about two hours. And um, thank you. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting a few other people I should shout out to. Yeah. Shout out to Jonathan and Mac Tamiz. Tamiz, I guess that Tamiz. I, I never, I have, still haven't figured out how to say your last name right. Sorry, Jonathan, but he's got uh, his YouTube channel. Interesting watching him in his journey. I wonder if he'll end up in the, going down the same direction as I have and come to the same realization that Sabbath is, is our Lord Savior Jesus Christ. Don't know. Certainly it's inspired uh, me and, and one of his uh, more recent vlogs that um, some of the questions that he asked very insightful, thoughtful questions. And um, we'll see. I try to answer a few. Okay, uh, angels and wind, sort of cosmic breath. What does the Bible have to say about this? Revelation 7 1. And after these things, I saw four angels standing in the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. Well, there you go. Uh, could the cosmic breath be actually the angels of God that serve our Lord and Savior? 
Um, Mark 4, 39. And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. Who's in control of the winds? The cosmic breaths. Of the day and night and of the equinoxes of the six-month periods. The winter, autumn and winter cold and the spring and summer and the warmth. I put my bet on what the Bible has to say. But let's go into this some more because it's a very thought insightful short book. It's only forty two pages. I don't even know if you consider that a book. Chapter three A Revolution of the Planets Around the Earth and Not Around the Sun. All the planets, including the sun, revolve around the earth. These circumstances cannot be denied since they're they are plainly visible either in the ordinary way with the naked eye or with the help of the telescope. It can be said in this connection that in the case of a science which should be based exclusively on observation and not on speculation such as astronomy, the evidence of the senses is the only factor upon which conclusions can and must be based. So for all you quote-unquote Christians who are making fun of us who believe in what the Bible says over what the satanic system that we live under says, you might want to rethink things a little bit. Hear that or give the proof for once. Not the math. The proof. The physical proof that we revolve around the sun and that we're spinning a thousand miles or kilometers of an hour. It's insane. This world is madness. Absolute madness. And they know what? They think we're crazy for believing what we can trust and see with their own eyes. That in itself should tell you something about mind control and the manipulation of the masses, which we are part of. And warrantly, the defense is the Word of God and the Spirit of Christ. A question I have for you. Um, is it possible even the least bit possible to feel loneliness or when the Spirit of Christ dwells in you. When the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, dwells in you, the Comforter, is it even possible to feel loneliness? Well, of course, the caveat, the, the point here is Spirit of Christ in you. Um, 
brother of mine in Christ thinks that that's the only reason why I'm doing this. I think that's, you know. But I want you to know that although I, I truly appreciate those who listen to the recordings, I am not Obviously, um, well, let's put it this way. If I was lonely and I wanted some popularity, I would be reading other things and and talking about other things. Anyways. certainly would like, you know, of course I like fellowship of brothers in Christ. I absolutely do. I value it. But it's not more important than my faith and my relationship with my Lord, my God. The true living God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God that created the heavens and the earth and divided the waters and the waters and the firmament. The God who created all and breathed life into man to me and created us from the dust, the potter. And I'm so grateful that I he is my potter. So, yeah, loneliness, I don't know. I mean, I don't get a lot of, I don't do a lot of interaction with folks doing this. Although I do appreciate the few emails that I get and the few people that I interview, like tomorrow, if it works out, Edward Henry, we'll be talking about his book and I will eventually read it all. I was hoping to get it all done before the interview, but it probably won't happen. Um, I got about a hundred more pages ago. I feel prompted to read this. Once again, the book is what is the name of this book again? Mm-hmm. Heaven and Earth by Gabriel and it it right and right. Okay, back to chapter three here. Um, well, I really got off track there, didn't I? Um, so we're going to just, just start from the beginning here. Uh, all the planets, including the sun, revolve around the Earth. These circumstances cannot be denied since they are plainly visible either in the ordinary way with the naked eye or with the help of the telescope. It can be said in this connection that in the case of a science which should be based on uh, exclusively on observation and not on a speculation such as astronomy the evidence of the senses is the only factor upon which conclusions can it must be based this method of investigation by means of the senses is neither primitive nor naive. 
as has been suggested. It is used in all existing sciences except in occult research. NASA, occult research, NASA. There ever was one. Where invisible phenomena are described as real and exactly, it may be remarked as in the case of gravitation system, the gravitation system, which is another occult fabrication. If the planets can be seen revolving around the Earth, it is for the decisive factor that they do revolve in such a way. It is asserted that this is not so. It is maintained that the Earth and the planets revolve around the Sun. The heliocentric model, which is named after Satan. Helios is Apollo, Polyon, which is Apollo, which is Satan. 66, right? Sun worship. We note with astonishment, however, the bizarre and definitely suspicious fact that these planetary movements are not visible. They cannot be seen, yet they are called real. How, then, can these movements be proved and their speed be ascertained since they are invisible? On the other hand, the existing geocentric planetary motions, which can be observed and measured, and which consequently constitute a perfectly valid system, are condemned as unreal and apparent. The pertinent remark, a pertinent remark may incidentally be made on the subject. Why do the astronomical tables which are published year after year give the so-called apparent movements of the planets in the zodiac why take the trouble in calculating and putting them on record at all if they are not real? Why is it also that no mention is made of the so-called real movements of the planets? To make sense, it would seem that it is just these and not the former which ought to be shown in official astronomical publications. A single example would be sufficient to prove that the laws of gravitation are not in conformity with existing circumstances. It is known that Mercury and Venus transit the face of the Sun on several occasions during the course of a century. These phenomena last several hours, and they are even observed with great interest by astronomers the world over. But without any special reaction, it seems as their material possibility. The shortest distance of Mercury from the Sun is said to be somewhere in the region of 50 million kilometers and that of Venus, 100 million kilometers. Consequently, 
if these two planets do really revolve or revolve the sun, they cannot tra- uh, transit it except by means of an enormous distortion of their orbits. The lasting several hours. This constitutes, therefore, a serious deviation from the law of gravitation and their impracticability as uh, exposed. The transit of the Sun by Mercury and Venus is only possible through a general motion or revolu- revolution of these planets around a central point, which in the circumstances is the Earth. It is not either explained how it is not either explained how the laws of gravitation manage to adapt themselves to the retrograde motion of the planets. Mercury several times per year or retrogresses and becomes stationary altogether for a month. This is also this also occurs less frequently but at regular intervals in the case of Venus and Mars and for the heavier planets during much longer periods. These numerous and prolonged retrogrations and interruptions in the movement of the planets ought therefore to dislocate the orbits and the speed since the movements around the sun are supposed to be elliptical and uniform, but no mention is ever made of these difficulties. <clears throat> Ouch. That pretty much puts in the nail in the coffin, doesn't it? Another inconsist- inconsistency can be pointed out. The fact that the planets move around the Earth is rejected on the strength that these revolutions are only apparent, but on the other hand, the motion of the moon around the Earth is accepted as real. There is, however, no difference whatsoever between the course of the moon and that of the other planets. They can be seen all together and at the same time moving around the earth. Why should it be decreed against all evidence that the moon alone does so? What is the motive which the which underlies these illogical exceptions? Is it also possible to unravel in some way the tangle of the movement's sun? Although it can be seen moving from east to west, the sun is said to advance with the constellations in the opposite direction at the speed of one degree per day, which signifies that it stays particularly for 24 hours. One day and one night in the same part of the heavens. It is further retrograding also with the constellations by 50 seconds 
of a degree per year. At the present moment, in the sign of Pisces, which thus becomes its uh, domicile for the period of 2,160 years, which means that it will stay 72 years at each of the 30 degrees of this sign. It has an apparent motion from east to west of one degree in four minutes. It rotates on its axis in 24 hour, 24 days in the, <laughs> the region of its equator, but in 25 days at the poles. It proceeds at the prodigious pace, and this is its principal motion, and the direction of a particular spot of the sidereal expanse sidereal expanse, which has been identified as being the constellation of Hercules in the sign of Scorpio, which it will reach in 10 million years. X million years. Well, we learn from the astronomical uh, F, uh, F, F, for F, Marius. I'm so sorry. F, Marius, F, Marius. That it moves through the sign in its entirety every year from October 24th to November 23rd. To November 23rd, excuse me. F, Marius, F, Marius. I don't know what that means. F. If if Marius. Well, I'm going to do something here. I'm going to find out what that means, and I'm find out how to say it, because I feel really retarded. Okay. Ephemeris, ephemeris, a table or data file giving the calculated positions of the celestial objects at regular intervals throughout the period, a book or set of such tables. Okay, the next thing is how to say the thing. Uh, I'm so sorry. But you know what? It's the way it goes, punk. <sighs> Pronounce the age. Ephemeries. Ephemeries, okay. Okay, so astronomical ephemeries that moves through this sign in its 
20 every year from October 24th to November uh, 23rd. How can it be said that the sun, unless it is endowed with a the faculty of ubiquity, it's simultaneously invisibly presents in different parts of the universe, moving forward and backward all at once. When it can be seen every day moving across the heavens above the earth. One is now able to understand the reason why no reference at all is made to the movements of the sun in certain modern encyclopedias. Of all these multiple solar movements, nothing at all can be seen. The only thing that one does see, in fact, is that the sun rises in the east in the morning and sets in the west in the evening. After having slowly moved across the dome of the sky during the day, at the real speed uh, since it is observed and measured of one degree per day, the sun has absolutely no other movement. To any, fi- to any well-balanced mind, the conclusion is that the system of gravitation, in view of all its contradictions and inconsistencies, is imaginary and not acceptable. Galileo's reaction in this connection may be recalled when in a letter of the 4th of August of 1597 to Kepler, who was pressing him to support the new dogmas, he replied that he would not hesitate to do so if he were not afraid of being loaded with ridicule. It should be also it should also be remembered that the principles of gravitation such as they were definitely formulated by Newton in sixteen eighty six were not accepted in scientific circles, particularly in France without resistance. The theory made its way only with the greatest difficulty, continuous objections being for a considerable time raised from all sides. It appears, however, that pressure and the policy of laissez-faire gave it a clear scope in the end. It would, nevertheless, be most instructive and interesting to read the contemporary comments on this question. The objection could, the objection could be raised that master minds, scientists, and academians of the world over have, for nearly three hundred years, accepted these theories without hesitation, and that it is inconceivable that they could have been mistaken, or that they should have been deceived. Without meaning to cast any reflection on the intellectual faculties or the judgment of these leading figures of the world of science, it can be said either 
that they were not competent in astronomical matters, a fact which does not constitute mental inferiority, or they lack the moral courage to admit what they thought in their conscience of these incomprehensible abstractions. Galio, as well as the others, Galileo, as well as the others, without a doubt he was convinced of the immobility of the earth, but he had to submit to the dictate of error in order to escape from the difficulties which would have assailed him until the end of his days, as he implied in one of his letters, if he had not given in. We repeat that all the planets, including the sun, whether their composition be material or not, revolve around the earth, which, as stated by tradition, Immemorial, the word and the word of scripture and the authority of the church is in a complete state of immobility at the center of the universe. The revolution of the planets take place in a direction which we describe as from east to west. But it should be noted that in the painting in the painting which cover the walls of the very ancient Egyptian tombs, the sun is seen to rise west and set in the east. It is probably from this fact that Plato evolved his theory that during certain periods of time the revolution of the planets takes place in the opposite direction but the rational explanation which can be attached is that supposed reversal of the planets motion assumed by Plato is simply that the Greek geographers reproduced the plan the maps of the world as it was known in those days the wrong way up so the poles and the four points of the compass were reversed. And this error would not be surprising considering the lack of accurate topographical information in those times. Thus, if a mistake had been made, and the orientation of the earth by the Greeks, the result would be that the southern hemisphere and its constellations is really the northern hemisphere, and vice versa. Australia would then be at the top of the world, and Canada at its lower end. It it should be noted that there are several maps dating from the Middle Ages where the Earth is shown in the manner of ancient Egyptians, of the ancient Egyptians. The opposite way up for us 
and consequently France appears reversed at the north at the north of England and Scotland also reversed in what would be the um, austral austral hemisphere like Australia, Australia. The satellites of the Earth are also free from any movement of rotation. We can take, for instance, the case of the planet Jupiter, which is said to accomplish one complete rotation in 10 hours, so that its day and night have an equal duration of five hours. It could be observed, however, without a telescope, that there is no change whatsoever in the luminosity of the satellite out through the night, so that it does not have a movement of rotation. Neither have the other satellites to which the same theory applies. It may also be remarked that the reverse side of the satellites can be seen, excuse me, can't be seen. This fact cannot very well be reconciled with the idea of the possible rotation. And have you not noticed that even these quote-unquote probes and satellites that have been sent out there and their supposed photographs are always the same face of whatever celestial body they say they're seeing. So even though this was written prior to NASA and all the things as far as uh, the, the Apollo missions and all that fakery and, and, and the CGI imagery, and the supposed satellites go to there. It turns out that nothing's changed at all except the embellishment of the stories that they tell us and spin for us. The stupendous invisible speeds which have been attributed to the satellites of the Earth are also fictitious. These latter move at slow speeds, which can be observed and measured, and which, consequently, are real speeds. Chapter 4, On the Solid Dome of the Sky. From the earliest time, it has been believed and said that the heavens were not an empty space, but a solid surface. The Chaldeans and the Egyptians regarded the sky as a massive cover of the world. In India and Persia, it was thought to be a metallic lid, flat or convex, or even pyramidal. Up to the 17th century, the Earth was always regarded as the center of an empty sphere with 
solid walls. And on this account, it was always represented with a cover. This indispensable complement, however, was eliminated upon the advent of the theory of gravitation. For convenience sake, as a solid dome limiting the space around the Earth would have rendered impossible the extravagant motions of the planets which were set revolving in the air at phenomenal distances. Thus, from this time, the fact universally accepted for thousands of years that the sky is a firm surface completely di- disappeared. Nevertheless, nevertheless, of the of a solid vault over the earth is a question of great importance in view of the tremendous consequences which would result from this fact like they never went to the moon or did anything like that can't go to something that's it's it's kind of hard to land on the light man. what do you think kind of pointless uh, let's see. Well, no, no. Let track multiple statements. If there's a dome, that explains why they faked it. In a Hollywood basement. All right. Uh, yes, there are tremendous consequences which would result from this fact if it happened to be true. There is no doubt that the general reaction is one of incredulity, but incredulity. But on the other hand, it can be considered that it is not without reason that the ancients believed on the existence of the material vault of heaven, nor without reason either that this notion should have been cons- consistently handed down through the ages since the earliest times up to the 17th century in all parts of the world. The only alternative would be to would be to be able to prove the fact, but it would certainly appear at the present time that there is no means of doing so. This was written with the 1950s, 1958, I believe it was, or at least it was published, I believe, around that time. It may be discovered, however, that the solid dome effectively exists above our heads in an indirect and quite unexpected manner, which the erroneous interpretation put on the composition the planets had not so far permitted to do. It can be stated at this juncture by anticipating on the next chapter, which deals with the particular object. 
this particular object that the planets are not solid, opaque masses of matter, as it is, is believed. They are simply immaterial, luminous, and transparent disks. In view of these circumstances, it is plain that the craters and asperites, 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 mountains and valleys, which were thought to exist on the surface of these imaginary masses, are the top topographic features of the solid bolt of the sky, which are illuminated and thrown into relief by the luminous and transparent disks, which we call planets. That's interesting. What happened? Interesting. It also it is also to be realized that the lens of the telescope creates an appearance of convexity which standing out in relief conveys the impression of a spherical mass, but this convexity effect is merely an optical illusion. The fisheye lens type of idea. Just mind you, this is 60 years plus years ago. 50 years plus years ago. All right. uh, The dome of the sky can be seen not only through the transparent satellite disks of the Earth with the help of the telescope, but also with the naked eye in rare circumstances. It is true, i.e., when it is lighted by flashes of lightning during the night thunderstorms. By a remarkable chance and a similar conditions and in similar conditions, the author has seen the vault of heaven entirely illuminated and has been able to observe it steadily for several minutes due to a rapid succession of sheet lightning discharges providing a perfect continuous visibility. The remark may now be made that if the ancients maintained that the sky was a solid mass, it was for the reason that they had ascertained the fact in the same circumstances. As many observers will now be able to do in the future, the possibility, therefore, of taking photographs by night of large areas of the vault of heaven can now be foreseen, particularly in those parts of the world where owing where owing to the frequency of thunderstorms, there are numerous opportunities of doing so. And it is an interesting at this point you're now starting to see on the internet people are taking their cameras and filming star quote unquote stars or suns or quote unquote suns and they're just the luminous lights. There's nothing we can see them change. 
where they twinkle, folks. They just, they're not sons. The aspect of the vault was that of a rare, steep, slightly sloping dome of pyramidal shape. Interesting. 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 Pyramidal shape, huh? The aspect of the vault was that of a rather steep, slightly sloping dome of pyramidal shape. And it's a, it appeared to be composed of a bright metallic dark gray matter, uniformly showing small, regular inequalities like lead which has been beaten or chiseled. The larger details, particularly the craters, were clearly visible against the background. But the most impressive circumstance yet was the incredible nearness of the vault. That one I can see, and I recognize and have been recognizing that lately with the stars. It's much closer than even the pictures that people are getting drawing and the computer computer generated stuff yes but the most impressive circumstance yet was the incredible nearness of the vault the highest point of which did not appear to be at the most any more than 60 kilometers from earth know if that's true or not right there. Mind you, she said it appears. From, and maybe we recall that in this connection that in one of the texts of Homer, it was stated that the height of the bell-shaped vault which surrounds the earth is only twice that of Mount Olympia. Let's see, so I'm trying to get my chickens. I don't know what they're wrestling with. Maybe use the budgies. Mount Olympia. <clears throat> you got to remember that this lady, you know, doing her best with what was given to her. So. But um, some really some interesting food for thought, that's for sure. I say. Olympus. Mount Olympus. Approximately six kilometers. This estimation 
evidently impossible and which must have probably resulted from the exceptional purity of the atmosphere in Greece, which may be deceptive, gives, nevertheless, an idea of the matter in which this question of the distance of the oath, the vault of the sky from the earth, to which we shall return later on to be envisioned. It results, its results, therefore, from the foregoing explanations that the existence of a dome of matter encircling the earth encircling the earth cannot be denied. And this fact completely revolutionizes the present-day concept of the outer world. The earth is not freely suspended in space, but it is resting on the floor of a cavity whose walls surround it on all sides. Side real expanse does now no longer extend over unlimited or undetermined distances. The dimensions of our universe are now known to be restricted, and they are confined by the circular wall which encircles the Earth. Circular wall that encircles the Earth. It is by this obstacle that the radar waves are reflected, and we may also recall in this respect the theory of heavy side letting leading to the existence of an upper wave resisting atmospheric layer, which is no other than a solid vault of the sky. There is absolutely no solid body between the earth and the dome of heaven since the constellations constellations like the planets are nothing but luminous phenomena. The meteors are obviously fragments which become detached from the vault and reach the earth. These masses are analyzed, proved to include a high percentage of metal, which from which we can conclude that the inherent brilliance of the sky is due to the presence of metals in its composition. The fact is that the earth at the beginning of time must necessarily have become separated from the adjoining mass which constitutes now the vault of heaven and therefore the parts now divided must contain the same elements. 
All the metals and ores of the earth are consequently present in the surface of the sky. An association is actually made between metals and the sky since the latter is instinctively compared to lead and copper. It's very hot. In very hot countries, where boiling, where boiling, where boiling temperatures intensify its metallic action and render it more receptible. Interesting theory. In the classical literature, there are two specific references to the metallic nature of the sky, apart from the one to be found in the Egyptian. Egyptian cosmology, but the former may not be independent of the latter. First, we read uh, the poems of Homer that star-stewed Olympus, dwelling of the gods, is made of glittering bronze. And secondly, the Old Testament, the prophet Job gives what may be regarded as an exact definition of the sun, when he proclaims it to be a mirror of metal. It is to be observed in this connection that when poetically poetical reference is made to the silver mirror of the moon, it is the metallic surface of the dome appearing under the transparent disk, which in reality may be described as a silver mirror. It may further be remarked that the mythology of the Orient to attribute the sun goddess is the sacred mirror. This is another association with the true nature of the vault. It must be admitted that the latter especially when it shines and sparkles under the sun, undoubtedly looks like a mirror. It has frequently been observed that there is a resemblance between glass and the sun. In the 6th century B.C., oh, here we go, Epidocles regarded imp, imp, Empedocles, I don't know how you pronounce it, E-M-P-E-D-O-C-L-E-S, regarded the sun as a vigorous body which collects and reflects the light of the ether but has no luminous power of its own. The British astronomer, astronomer Palmer in the last century held the view that the sun is a lens which he also said transmits uh, to us the rays emitting from the Almighty. It is further, it is further known that Ptolemy, in his system of the constitution of the universe, speaks of the existence of a crystalline sky, i.e. a sky in the nature of a transparent mineral substance. One may think in this connection that it is not impossible 
that due to the heat developed by the passage of the sun's disk, there may be a fusion and a vitrification of the siliceous uh, materials contained in the vault, so that it becomes coated in certain places with a layer of glass, which would communicate to the solar disk by transparency, Identical property, transparent identical properties, so that it might become similar in, similar to a lens, or to a lens, lens. Excuse me. The presence of dross or slag similar to that formed on fused metal has also been observed on the surface of the sun which is really owing to its transparency, the foundation of the sky, and this seems to confirm the possibility of thermal and chemical reactions taking place among the elements which compose the vault. <clears throat> it, can be, it can now be understood that the light and the heat which appeared to be produced by the sun do not proceed from this source, this source but are due to a burning glass effect which is generated by a brilliant metallic surface of the vault under the luminous disk. Under these conditions, all the vivifying and beneficial properties which are attributed to the sun must be transferred to a solid dome of the sky as well as the rays. <clears throat> These are not the sun's rays, but they are the rays of the metallic surface of the vault. It is also observed that the electrical discharge which produce lightning take place between the mass of the earth and that of the dome of the sky. It can further be surmised that the parts of the dome expand and split and explode under the stress of the passage of intense electrical currents and of their discharge. Hence the short detonations called thunderclaps which are later amplified into loud rumblings and reverberate and reverberated in the interior of the vast cavern which contains the earth. It can further be remarked that crashes of thunder are always immediately followed by a metallic Resonance similar to that of bronze or brass. And it can be said that this particular resounding, which is clearly perceptible, is certainly produced by the metallic walls of the vault, which are made to shake and vibrate under the stress of detonations. 
The ancients have said that rain is part of the waters which exists on the other side of the vault and which pass on to this side through cracks. It may be remarked in this connection that rain is always discharged at the end of a thunderstorm. That is, after the sound of the splitting of the dome, otherwise the thunder has been heard. And this fact would seem to substantiate the theory of the ancients concerning rain. Lightning is a phenomenon which results from the electrification of the vault. <clears throat> but it must be explained that the luminous branches and ramifications which are observed is what is called forked lightning are not lightning at all. Strictly speaking, neither do they transverse the atmosphere as it is believed. They correspond to luminous electrical currents which travel in the vault of the sky itself where they follow irregular tracks, probably metallic veins, and it can also be seen that they adopt the convex shape of the vault. These currents contribute eventually to the accumulation at a certain point of the quantity of electricity which is required to cause a discharge towards the earth, which occurs then in a direct line. The comets and meteors and shooting stars are a phenomenon which also have their origin, like the so-called forked lightning, in the mass of the vault. The author definitely knows this to be the case. Comets are spontaneous, luminous manifestations which are created by electrical, electrical reactions, reactions occurring in the vault of the sky, this explains their unexpected and sudden appearance, as well as their rapid and erratic movements. Indifferently direct and retrograde. Indifferently direct and retrograde. Excuse me. The passage of the uh, of a comet is not accompanied by sound. That is to say that there is no electrical discharge like in the case of lightning, which causes the vault to split and detonate. Although sometimes people hear that, hear it booms too with these things, so she might be wrong about this. It can be, um, probably is wrong about it. It can be surmised that lightning takes place in the thickness of the vault, whereas a comet is a surface phenomenon. The orbit of comets, which may be seen to sweep across the vast expanse of the sky, is described as, as parabolic. This means, in fact, since the passage takes place on the surface of the dome, 
that the orbit follows exactly the curvature of the same and acquires, therefore, a seemingly parabolic shape. Hmm. The formation of comets seems to do to be due to the influence of satellite disks of the satellite disks of the Earth as they pass at certain points of the vault of the sky, otherwise when they occupy certain degrees of the zodiac, particularly the 29th degree as Sagittarius in the case of Inky's Comet in December 21st, 1795, the sun was at the 29th degree of Sagittarius, and that of Brooks Comet in November 11th, 1911, Mercury was passing the same degree, like the scraping or something, I don't know, it's called something electrical discharge, is that what you're trying to say? Again, for Dante's Comet, October 2nd, 1858, it was Mars, which was affecting its passage at this very spot. The same remark applies, moreover, to the third degree of the various signs, particularly Gemini. The last case mentioned, the Dante's Comet, Uranus was at the third degree of Gemini. For Halley's Comet, which returned on March 4th of 1910, Mercury was at the same degree. Venus at the second degree of Libra. Mars at the second degree of Cancer, while simultaneously Saturn passed at the 29th degree of Aries, etc. Uh, all these circumstances, which cannot be coincidences, point evidently to the existence of a mathematical law governing the formation of comets through the combined agencies of the satellites when they pass simultaneously at various degrees of the zodiac. And since the satellites have a regular motion, it follows that the period that the periodicity, periodic, periodicity, I don't know how you pronounce it, periodicity, of comets, if it does exist, may be due to this fact. It's an interesting theory, but I don't know. Shooting stars are not so, are not to be confused with stars in the ordinary sense, which from from the constellations, which form the constellations and move at a very slow pace. These are luminous manifestations which glide rapidly on the surface of the vault of the heaven without any electrical discharge towards the earth. They are thus related to the vault, to vault lightning, especially as they sometimes can be heard to imminent cracking sounds like sparks. Hmm. 
Meteors are also luminous phenomena resulting from electrical reactions which occur in the vault of the sky. It has been observed that they are frequently accompanied by detonations and by a sound similar to that of thunder, which is therefore caused by the splitting of the dome so that there can be no doubt as to their real origin. It has been calculated that there, that the height of the meteor never exceeds 90 kilometers. This figure confirms the estimate which is given further on of the probable distance of the vault of the sky from the surface of the earth. Don't know about that. From the ancients, we know that the heavens at the beginning of time were adjacent to the earth, which is consistent with the primeval dislocation from the surrounding mass, and that they were progressively lifted in the course of ages. This rising of the vault could not have been very great. The mere fact that the latter can be seen through the, a telescope under the satellite disks of the Earth, as well as the unaided eye, as stated previously, indicates that it cannot be very far away. It is not true either that man's eyesight can cover an infinite distance. Even with the help of the most powerful instruments, keeping in mind at the same time a possible magnifying effect due to the direct densities of the various FS atmospheric layers, so that it must be accepted that the dome of the sky is incredibly low. I've been seeing that lately. Myself, I'm pretty convinced it's pretty low. I don't know if it's 60 kilometers. I might be able to go higher than that, but whatever it is, it's nothing like what they've been trying to tell us in the public schools and in college and in the Satan's altar, the idiot box. If it were an enormous if it were at enormous distances, if it were at an enormous distance, meteors would disintegrate and become pulverized and rain be volatilized before reaching the earth. There is not and there never will be an absolutely reliable method whereby the exact distance separating the surface of the earth from the sky may be ascertained. It is very doubtful, as a matter of fact, whether the laws of physics, which apply to terrestrial conditions, would still would be still valid in the case of the upper atmosphere and of the space adjacent to the top of the dome. But certain data can be taken in account. The height of the heavy side layer 
which is the dome of the sky, has been measured by the time taken for radar waves to return home, or to Earth, excuse me. This distance has been given as being from 40 to 50 kilometers in daytime, 90 kilometers during nighttime. But the figure obtained for the day may be considered unreliable since it may well be believed that an acceleration takes place and the propagation of waves due to the heat of the sun. It is known, on the other hand, that the thickness of the atmosphere has also been measured, but the atmosphere is invisible, and since the dome is the only surface on which the eye can rest, it is clear that the thickness of the atmosphere means the height of the dome, In the 11th century, the Arabs, by measuring the duration of twilight, assuming that their method is acceptable, established that the thickness is 92 kilometers. Nowadays, by the same method, a figure of 64 kilometers has been obtained. A similar indication comes from Cylon, C I Y excuse me C E Y L O N where the inhabitants claim that the dome is their particular particularly low being only forty miles high, i.e. sixty kilometers from the earth, and does not necessarily follow whether this statement is based on conviction only or not that it is untrue. This figure is also consistent with the impression of the author who has seen and observed the dome of the sky during a sufficiently long period of time to enable its probable distance to be judged as well as humanly possible. And the conclusion is that the distance separating the surface of the earth from the sky and which may vary in some places does not exceed 80 to 90 kilometers. The first telescope used by Galileo, which was of his own construction, had only a threefold magnifying power. Nevertheless, he could, with this small instrument, see the eminency of the vault, described by him as being the mountains of the moon. That is to say that instead of saying 80 to 90 kilometers, 50 to 60 might be nearer the mark. The vault of the sky may not be absolutely rigid, but may, at intervals, alternating recede and advance, so that under these conditions, the changes in the atmospheric pressure 
would obviously result from the varying height of the bolt. The azure color of the atmosphere may be due to the presence in the surface of the sky of certain metals or of their alloys, which provide a blue coloring matter, such as copper oxide or cobalt. Cobalt, excuse me. That's interesting. Instead of saying we're looking at water, it's blue coloring matter such as copper oxide or cobalt. It's interesting theory. This latter metal, particularly which is used for producing blue colored glass, is found in very large quantities in meteorites. And its color could be diffused by the sun on the atmospheric layers, even if they do not completely reach the top of the dome, as the latter could cast a reflection from a distance. It might also be inferred that the reddish tint of the transparent disk of Mars is due to the fact that the part of the dome which underlies its orbit contains iron oxide, which provides a compound for its color. These interesting theories. That's for sure. Chapter 5. On the immaterial nature of satellites of Earth. The satellites of the Earth are not masses of matter. They are luminous and transparent disks. And this looks like a good place to stop for the next recording, I would say. Yep.